All right, so we are in a new sermon series called All In. And what does it mean to go all in with Jesus? What practices can we participate in to help us to go all in? So last week was Easter Sunday, and so it was the resurrection of Jesus. And this is a huge deal um, because it changes everything, that salvation is available for all who choose it. So anyone who chooses salvation that's available, that Jesus uh, lived, he died, and he was resurrected. Um, but the story just doesn't end there uh, when Jesus is resurrected. I mean, you have the end of the four Gospels, and then you have the Acts of the Apostles, and then the Epistles, the letters that were written. And so the, you know, the story doesn't end there. Um, and what we see before that is that the disciples essentially abandoned Jesus at the cross. There's only three people that were there with him um, who were John, uh, Mary, his mother, and then Mary Magdalene. And so meaning that a lot of the apostles, when Jesus died, they were somewhat confused about him. They weren't sure. Uh, here's this guy making all these claims. Um, but then Rome beat him. Rome crucified him. Rome killed him. And so it seemed like death had won. It seemed like Rome had again uh, beaten down uh, another individual. Um, but then after the resurrection, they go all in with Jesus. And so what we see is the disciples go all around the world. They plant churches. They're persecuted. They write letters. And in reality, the Western world as we know it today is in some way, shape, and form a reflection of these individuals going all in with Jesus. So the, the, the world that we live in today is in part a result of these men and women saying yes to Jesus, which is a fascinating uh, thought. And so it's a, it's a big deal. So what did the early believers be, what, be, know, and do um, to help them go all in? And so what we're going to be doing today is looking at uh, Luke chapter 24, verses 35 through 53. And we're going to look at this chunk of scripture. This is after the resurrection and kind of talk about these values of the early church and what helped them to go all in with Jesus. All right, uh, Luke, Luke chapter 24, verses 35 through 53. Then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they uh, had recognized him as they were breaking the bread. And just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking that they were seeing a ghost. Why are you frightened? He asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can, still, you can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I'm not a ghost because ghosts don't have bodies, as you see that I do. As he spoke, he showed them his hands and his feet. Still, they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. Then he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he ate it, uh, and he ate it as they watched. Then he said, When I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said, Yes, it is written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of all these things. 
And now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my Father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. Then Jesus led them to Bethany, and lifting his hands to heaven, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up to heaven. So they worshipped him and then returned to Jerusalem filled with great joy. And they spent all their time in the temple praising God. So today is somewhat of an odd jumping off point for today's topic. Uh, but I think it's good to read uh, the text after uh, Jesus' resurrection. And then at the same time, it's also the ascension. Um, and this is one of my favorite paintings of the Ascensions by Salvador Dali. Um, and I rarely get to show it. I mean, it's just a fantastic painting of his to see Jesus going up to the Father and going up into heaven. Um, so again, this text, the, today's topic isn't explicitly addressed in the text, but you'll see that it's there in plain sight. So I'm not going to unpack this text and talk about it. But the topic for today's um, sermon is in plain sight uh, in this text. And one aspect, or at least certainly one of the things that I see of going all in with, with Jesus is living life together, being together, community. And so we see this um, all throughout scripture, scripture, the community, friendship, church. And what that means is we're meant to follow Christ with others. We're supposed to walk with other people. We're supposed to be with other, other people. And so when we look at the scriptures, 95%, I mean, it's just an assumption of the New Testament is written with this idea in mind, that it's written to groups of people. It's written to get people to be together, that the believers were together. The letters of the New Testament are written to churches or groups of people or individuals who are a part of a church. And then we also just look at the life of Jesus, that he walked three years in public ministry. But if you think about it, he had 12 guys who were with him almost 24-7. He was always with these groups of people, and not just them, but people were constantly around Jesus. But intentionally, we can say that he surrounded himself with um, these 12 people that he was in communion with. And at the same time, God is three in one. And so this idea of the Trinity, although, I mean, it can be mysterious in certain ways and weird, but one, one of the things that theologians have oftentimes spoken about with the Trinity is that God is in community with himself, that God is a community. And so over and over, we're presented with this idea that following Jesus is something that we do with others. Or like I had said last week, to say it in a different way, to follow Jesus alone is a very unbiblical idea. It's actually not found in the scriptures to just do this alone. We're meant to follow Christ with other people. And so even if we look at this picture here, and we see this one guy surfing on this wave, and you're like, this guy's awesome. He's super tough, and he's out there on his own, and he's so daring. I mean, there's people everywhere surrounding this guy. He's out there with a crew of people. They got up at 4 o'clock in the morning. You can watch videos about this, and they're all together. Um, and he's got, I mean, obviously there's a photographer there, but behind him or on this side of the wave, there's a guy with a jet ski, and when he wipes out and he's like near death, it comes and saves him. And so this guy is alone even though it looks like he's alone he's they're surrounded by a crew of people so 
For our context, what does it mean being with others? Because on the one hand, it's a wonderful thing to say like, yes, we're supposed to do this in community. But then church and community has its issues. It's actually quite difficult. It's wonderful to do this with other people. And it's also quite difficult to do this with other people, if we're being honest. And I'm a fan of honesty. So... Two ideas that I think are relevant to us that I think that we wrestle with in terms of being with community is that conflict doesn't mean the end of a relationship, but actually, in my mind, can be just another beginning. And that in the end, so that's one, and then idealism can be a killer of community and friendship. So one, conflict is not necessarily a bad thing. It can, doesn't necessarily mean it's the end of a relationship. Oh my gosh, we had a fight. But it, I actually believe we're getting close enough to where we're actually having conflict. And then idealism can kill community and or friendship. So, one, close enough to have conflict. Um, and we see this in Scripture. In Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, this is Peter writing to the church in Galatia. Uh, but when Peter came to Antioch, I, Paul, had to oppose him to his face... For what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, uh, he ate with the Gentile believers who are not circumcised. But afterwards, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy." So you have to imagine, so they're hanging out in Galatia, in the church, and they're having what we might be considered as a potluck, they're eating together, and Paul jumps up and he essentially like rebukes Peter in front of all of these people. And so if you kind of bring that into our context, could you imagine what that would be like if that happened in a potluck at our church? Um, I mean, my assumption is, is that in our day and age, you wouldn't be talking to that person any longer. You're literally at a potluck, you're eating your food, and your friend jumps up and just publicly rebukes you in front of everyone at the potluck, even though he's right or she's right. They jump up publicly and they're like, Billy, yeah, you, I'm talking to you. But this is what happened. This is what Paul did. Could you imagine staying friends with that person? They remained friends. And they probably grew as a result of this. I mean, it is, I mean it is, it's pretty wild. But Peter and Paul were friends, and they spent time together. And one of the things that we see in terms of relationships is that sometimes it can lead to what healthy conflict. I'm not talking about like super dysfunctional conflict, um, but it, it is a part of relationships. So when we see this, what do we see? You see, Sean, this is not my kitchen. This is not my kitchen. So when you look, I mean, how many folks, when you look at this, you're like, oh my gosh, this is horrible. Oh, what a mess. And it is a mess. But the thing that we're also missing is that what came before this was probably a beautiful, huge meal. 
There's a lot of people here at this meal. That's what I see. I see here the little blue straw. I mean, it kind of looks like a milkshake, so you can assume it tastes good, right? I mean, you're thinking beforehand, this is a beautiful, this is a beautiful meal where a bunch of people got together and ate. And even though we're looking at this and we're like, oh, gross, I don't want to do this. This looks nasty. But in all honesty, dirty dishes are a byproduct of a wonderful meal. They really are. There's always going to be dirty dishes. And so when we think about conflict, again, healthy conflict, conflict is a natural byproduct of relationships. When you think about the real relationships that you have, the good relationships, the people that you would consider good friends, conflict happens. You disagree. Things aren't always going to work out. And in many ways, your relationship deepens because you're able to work through that conflict in a healthy way. So not all conflict all the time, um, but what I'm saying is just like natural, healthy conflict because it, people, I'm annoying, um, everyone's annoying, and so when we all get together, that's a lot of amazing and a lot of annoying all in the same place, and so that can be difficult. Um, some people avoid conflict like the plague, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because you'd probably feel like that was conflict. There's one guy there that's admitting it. But some people just like, I, I can't stand conflict. Um, and and I, as a therapist, I do therapy as well. And talking with some folks, some of the things that people think are conflict, I'm like, I don't even think about that as con I didn't want to tell him that I didn't like pineapple on the pizza. I'm like, why? I just hate conflict. I hate conflict. Like telling someone you don't like pineapple on a pizza is not conflict. Okay, but some people avoid conflict like the plague. They just cannot, anything that even feels like conflict is just so difficult to them. But other people are very confrontational and conflict to them is not that big of a deal. There are people who actually feel like conflict is something of a love language that to get into arguments and like argue about things is actually very invigorating for people. But here's the thing. God obviously created all of us to be together. So there's some people that are okay with conflict and there's some people that avoid conflict. God created us to be that way because God created us to be together, to grow from one another. And again, conflict is not doesn't have to be bad. So I know for myself, I didn't grow up in the church. Uh, I grew up for a long time in South Lake Tahoe, and I was like this kind of skater punk guy. So this is when, when skating was coming out, and I long hair skating, and you know, just all that rebellion stuff. And so then high school, I don't think I was any better. Um, and then I started fighting fire with the Forest Service after I, I got saved. And so being a part of a Forest Service firefighting crew is kind of a rough group of people. You know, you're out there. I think there are like three Christians and everyone else was just like skinheads and tattoos and all these, you know, ex-prison folks and all these things. And so communicating there was kind of rough and tumble, but I'd grown up communicating rough and tumble. And so all of that made sense to me. And so then later on, after I graduated Shasta High School or Shasta College, I went down to San San Luis Obispo and I got hired on at this very large church and everyone dressed very nicely and everyone was really kind of prim and proper and I got hired on and I was on staff and I quickly realized that I really talked very different than everyone else. Everyone was very 
uh, I don't even know how to put it, but different than me. And so then, because we're on staff and we're with one another regularly, we have conflict. And so stuff is happening. Things need to get done. There's different ideas about the church. And so one time I had a guy come in um, and we were having a, a conversation about something. And he said, um, he said, hey, Sean, I just want you to know that you're being very passive aggressive right now. And I literally thought that he was complimenting me. <laughs> I'm not joking. So you just have to ask yourself, which side do I avoid conflict or do I like conflict? I literally thought by him telling me I was passive aggressive that somehow passive was a compliment. I'm like, I've never had anyone call me passive before in my life. But I learned from that experience. And so I think this is the thing when, I, when, I, when we look at that, um, what I realized was that I needed to grow and this was an opportunity for me to grow and I'm in, in church because I want to grow and being around one another. This is the thing too that I think we, we miss. Like, you know, we want to worship God and, and we want to hear from the word, but there's a lot going on here in our interactions with one another that we can grow from. And that's what I had to learn. I had to learn that... Um, I needed to change. There were things about me that weren't okay, that I rubbed people the wrong way. And I needed to own that. And I learned that by being in community, by being with other people, by being around people who um, were different than me. So in terms of relationships, in terms of like a family I think that the church has so much to offer. I, I truly believe, and studies are out there that talk about that our culture is in a relationship uh, crisis of some sorts. And I mean, the thing is, and even though it's behind us, we've just come through a very divisive moment. All three of these things happen simultaneously in our lives. And I think all of us want to just totally forget it. I know I do. But all three of these happened at one time, if you can remember. And it was horrible. Truly. I'm not saying necessarily, all with the vaccine there, I'm not saying the vaccine's horrible. What I'm saying is COVID, right? These are all just divisive issues. Very divisive time. And I think we are in a relationship type of crisis. And the more and more that I read, and the more and more studies that I read, the people who are actually getting hurt the most are actually men, fascinatingly enough. That the studies are showing that more and more men are actually being negatively Effective. The U.S. has experienced a friendship recension, and American men have been hit the hardest. One in five single men say they have no close relationships. I mean, there are so many studies out there that are talking about uh, men having very little close relationships, uh, especially amongst younger generations, that younger men, probably because of porn and because of video games and because of other things, are really struggling with relationships, the very thing that we have to offer. Older men, older women, right? Aunts, uncles, brothers, sisters, friends. 
Don't miss that. Yes, it's all about Jesus. He is the head of what? The church. And the church is what? His body. When I first got saved and I came into this church, it was probably about 12 people, it was the first time I actually had the chance to hang out with healthy men. I didn't know what a healthy man looked like. In that church was the first man I ever met that ever apologized to me. I had never had a man apologize to me in my entire life. But when we think about friendships, and this is true, I think we're afraid of friendships. Um, And if you've been in the church long enough, I mean, here's the thing. So on the one hand, we're the solution. And then on the other hand, we're also the problem. Because friendships can be scary. And if you've been in church long enough, then you've been hurt by someone within the church. Just goes with the territory. So you say, why bother? And I get it. I understand. I mean, I've been following Christ for 25 years and have been in church almost that whole time. And I have had my fair share of hurts, man. Pain and suffering. Relationally. So why bother? Because in reality, we are created for connection with one another. We're created for connection with one another. And we see this, that we have something to offer the world, Christ, yes, but then a family. And so when you mature, we mature, and we create a healthier church. And so is church messy? Yes. And I'm talking about like normal messes. I'm not talking about radical messes here. And that conflict... Appropriate conflict isn't the end of a relationship, but it is a possible beginning because we're not all going to agree. We're all very different people. Uh, So next, idealism is counterproductive to friendship and community. Or wishing something was will rob us of what something actually is. Okay? Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one of my favorite theologians of all time, said this, The person who loves their dream of community will destroy community, but the person who loves those around them will create community. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Life Together. Again, the person who loves their dream of community will destroy community, but the person who loves those around them will create community. Idealism. The way things ought to be or should be or would be. This is how I want things to be or they should be like this. Every single person in the room has some vision of what they think church is supposed to look like. That's your ideal. It's normal because all of us like things a particular way. Like when you, in the way, in your house, you have things a particular way. In my house, I have a particular, things are set up in a particular way. However, idealism can be deadly. When we say that there should be more of this or there should be less of that or more of these types of people and less of those types of those people. But when you think about church, it's one of the few places where people get together that are very different from one another and we actually connect and we share something in common, which is Christ. I mean, it's fascinating. 
that we get together and we're very different people, a lot of us, all of us actually, and so we share things in common certainly, but it's one of those few places where people of like very differing lifestyles get together and connect. So rich, the poor, liberals, conservatives, educated, uneducated, all of that is here within this room right now. And it's good news that church is full of people who aren't like you. It's really good. It's good to be surrounded by people that aren't like us. We're very different, and that's a strength. That's something that I hold on to dearly, is that we are filled with a very differing group of people. Romans uh, chapter 7, verse 9 um, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. From every nation, all tribes, peoples and languages. People who are going to be so different than you, so different than us worshiping in ways that we might not even fully understand or get or even appreciate. It will be so different. Uh, peoples whose lifestyles you might not even approve of. What's normal here and what's normal in other countries oftentimes is very different. You'd be like, I don't get that. I wouldn't do that. That's weird. I don't get that. Why do you do that? People who don't think, act, or look like you do. But they're not gathered together because they all agree on lifestyle and what they all believe in. They're there together because they believe in Jesus. And he's the one that ties us all together. It's really weird. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. But we're very different. All right, here's a confession I'm going to make. I love Costco. Does anyone else love Costco? I love Costco. I, it's honestly like my happy place. When I think about the, my wife and I, when we go there, and we're going there later today, we go there every weekend. Uh, we're like, we are the key demographic of Costco. Like this whole thing is set up for my wife and I. We have a family, you know, we're middle class. We just, we just love it. Um, but I walk into Costco, and one of the things I've said this over and over again, I don't want a church like Costco. When I walk in and I see all the people, it's a very like clustered demographic of people. There are a lot of people who can't even go to Costco. There are a lot of people that if you saw them at Costco, you would know, you would know in your knower that they're out of place. I don't... I don't think this person belongs here, Costco playground here, because there are limits to who can get in there. So everyone kind of looks the same, and, right, and everyone's like, oh, I think I want that kayak or this or that. And so then we all kind of just like look at like each other all the time, even though we think we look different. Um, but I don't want a Costco church because that's not what the church is meant to be. The church is for everyone, anyone, regardless of what they 
believe or regardless of who they vote for. You know, I, I truly celebrate being in a community with people I don't understand and I don't agree with. Truly. That is not a joke. So when we look at this, and you look at, I'm not asking for anyone's hands or anything like that. There are people who voted for Trump in this room, and there are people who voted for Biden. There are people who have differing views on the George Floyd incident. Some people look at the vaccines, and they see pure evil, and some people see a great medical miracle in this room. That's good. That's not bad. We are, a, we are an eclectic, eclectic group of people. And that's good because we're all here because we're doing our best to follow Christ. And that's what we want. We want Christ to inform everything. And we're not going to get it right all the time. That's not, that's not necessarily the goal. That's Jesus' job. Jesus gets it right all the time. I'm just trying to bat, like, I don't even know what a good batting average is. Like, one I don't know, 250? I don't know. What is a good, 350 is a good batting average, which means you hit 350 balls out of 1,000. That's not good. But evidently, that's good. I'm just trying to, to do okay. That's my job, is to do okay. So the last idea on idealism, again, not talking about huge issues. No matter where you go to church, you will see similar issues with that church, okay? Um, an example might be, John, you know, you're too much of this or the church is too much of that. Here's the thing. The greatest common denominator for every church that you attend is you. You always come into a church with preconceived ideas. You bring all of your stuff into the church. Going back to the idea when I thought that complimenting me for being passive-aggressive. This is a thing that even when I talk to some of my guys, every interaction you have with a, another individual, you are 50% responsible for that entire interaction or responsible. So if I have an interaction with Brad, 50% of that is me. And so when I'm spending time with people, 50% of that interaction is me. And so I had to go back, and when he's telling me I'm being passive-aggressive, I had to say, like, okay, wait, I do see that these people are responding. All these people, I did notice this in San Luis Obispo at that church staff. I'm like, people keep having the same reaction to me all the time. And I kept thinking, man, those people are so weird. <laughs> so weird. They're all responding to me the same way. And then I finally stopped. I'm like, oh, wait, because I'm there. I'm making them respond in this way by the way that I'm acting. Again, the biggest common denominator in, in what you see and experience in church is really you. It's you. And that's okay. So if you keep seeing the same things, maybe you should address the projection and you're projecting your issues onto the church. Here's the thing. Everything could always be better in church. 
Always. Even today as I'm drumming, I'm like, I should not be drumming. Things could be better. My sermon could be better. Everything could be better. And I always welcome your feedback. I truly do. I, I am a huge fan of construction, constructive criticism. But here's the thing. If we all got the idealistic church to where everything was exactly like we wanted it. I mean, the reality ends up being that most of us would just be pushed to the margins because we'd be too average to actually anything in the church. It'd just be nothing but like beautiful people doing beautiful things and we'd just be on the sidelines being average, being like, this is amazing. All my ideals have come true here. So how do we go all in with Jesus? Um, we follow him together. And on the one hand, it's entirely beautiful. My wife and I, wherever we go, whether it's a vacation far or near, we always go to church because we love being around the people of God. And sometimes it can be weirder than others, but we go because we want to spend time with his body. We want to spend time with the brothers and sisters in their faith. There's something that joins us together that's so beautiful, and it's Christ. Christ crucified and Christ resurrected that there's something that we share with one another that we don't share with people outside of the faith. But it's entirely problematic to spend time with people because they're annoying. And they're difficult and they don't think that the same things that I think and they say weird things all the time and I get offended by them and I offend them and it's difficult. But in the midst of that, it's meant, in my opinion, to grow us up, to mature us in the faith, to help us to see those things about us that God is wanting to change, to get the rough edges off of us, that we can truly be mature, that we wouldn't be so offended about certain things or we wouldn't be so offensive about other things, that we would truly honor one another. And that idealism can rob us of the gift of community. Again, wishing something was will rob us of what something actually is. There's so much to celebrate here. There's so much to change here, of course, but there's so much to celebrate at the same time. Um, so how do we go all in? First step is being able to celebrate community and know that we need to do it together, that we need, when God imagined faith in him, he imagined it as a team sport, that we would be together in community, messy as it is, but beautiful at the same time. So we are going to take communion. We do this every single Sunday. Um, but then afterwards, we are going to have an opportunity. We pray for people every Sunday at the end. People can come up uh, in the vineyard in, in terms of just in the Bible. It talks about laying hands on one another. And when people lay hands on other people and pray for them, the Holy Spirit does something powerful. So if you've been hurt in church, if you know that you have like idealism and, and you would like to be prayed for for that or any other issue, we'd love to, uh, there'll be some folks up here to pray for you and love to pray for you. Um, we are going to have communion. Um, the body represents Jesus's body that was broken for us. Let's, let's take this slide off. I don't want to wear, that's a better one for communion. 
that the cracker, the bread, represents Jesus' body that was broken for us, that Jesus came into the world that he created with a whole body, no sin. And he allowed his body to be broken because our bodies are broken. And he knew that he would be resurrected from the dead in fullness with a whole body. And that we too can share that as well, that our bodies can become whole in him. And that the wine represents his blood that was poured out for our sins, for our past, our present, and our future sins. And that we have forgiveness in him. These are simple everyday elements because the kingdom of God is a simple everyday thing. And we eat these elements because the kingdom of God is inside of us. And we do this regularly because we need to. Because we need this regularly. So the way that we do this is that if you are a believer in Christ or if you would like to start following Christ today, then you're welcome to come and partake of communion. Uh, We come down the center aisle here. And you grab a piece of the cracker, you dip it into the wine, and then you will go around the sides. You will hold on to the elements, and then once everyone has their elements, we will all partake together. So if you would like to take communion, please come on down.
Jesus, thank you. for coming down and dying for us. Thank you for inviting us into a friendship with you. You call us friends. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for allowing your body to be broken and your blood to be poured out for us. Help us, Lord, to see you rightly. And help us to see us as you see us. Let's partake. Well, why don't we stand? I'm going to pray a prayer blessing over us for the rest of the day. If you did want prayer for anything, we'd love to have you come forward when we pray for you. God, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for the early church and the modern church, Lord. We thank you that we have brothers and sisters to walk this out with, to grow with, and to grow from. Bind us together as your body. Help us to offer to the world what they're seeking after, both in you, Jesus, and in a family. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would fill us, that you would anoint us for the work that you have for us, that you would open our eyes to the things that you have for us, the places that you're taking us, and that you would open our ears to be able to hear you clearly. We thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, if you want in prayer, please come on up.